Podcast One, The City From Above, The Great Fire in Verse. I'm Helen Marriage, director of Artichoke, a creative company that invades public spaces with extraordinary art. Our work explores how art can change the daily routine and rhythm of a city, interrupting traffic and trade to offer unforgettable experiences to audiences. As part of Great Fire 350, which marked 350 years since the Great Fire of London, Artichoke produced a festival of arts and ideas, London's Burning, which included art installations, spectacular events and a talks programme. This podcast series features a selection of our London's burning talks and gives a contemporary perspective on a significant moment in the city's history. The talks were presented in historic sites, financial hubs and buildings that survived the Blitz. Join us in conversations about how cities past and present have responded to crisis. For this podcast, actor Simon Callow reads extracts from Dryden's acclaimed poem Annus Mirabilis at the top of the monument. He transports us to 17th century London while looking out over the great city of today. The monument is located 62 metres above the ground where the Great Fire of London started in 1666. The fire wiped out a great part of the city of London but it was very rapidly rebuilt and the monument celebrates that um, emergence of London as a phoenix from the flames. There are a number of cities in the world that a great fire was the sort of turning point in their history. San Francisco and Chicago both had great fires and they determined to rebuild themselves and remake themselves and that's exactly what London did too and I should think part of the great consolidation of British determination and skill and industriousness, which eventually created the British Empire and everything else that pertained to that. This is from Annus Mirabilis, The Year of Wonder, 1666. It was written by John Dryden in the wake of a series of glorious battles won by the British, which were swiftly followed by the burning of the city of London. It's something written by somebody who was there at the time and saw it all happen. It's a news report in verse form. I'm not reading a great deal of the sections which celebrate Charles II, but uh, Dryden knew which side his bread was buttered on and he certainly wanted to get in with the new monarch. I mean, obviously, Charles had just come back to the throne in 1660. And indeed, this poem was directly responsible for Dryden becoming the poet laureate. A key of fire ran all along the shore and lightened all the river with a blaze. The wakened tides began again to roar and wandering fish in shiny waters gaze. Old Father Thames raised up his reverent head but feared the fate of Simois would return. Deep in his ooze he sought his sedgy bed and shrunk his waters back into his urn. The fire, meantime, walks in a broader gross to either hand his wings he opens wide. He wades the streets and straight he reaches cross and plays his longing flames on the other side. First they warm, then scorch, and then they take. Now with long necks from side to side they feed. At length, grown strong, their mother fire forsake and a new colony of flames succeed every nobler portion of the town the curling billows roll their restless tide in parties now they straggle up and down as armies unopposed for prey divide 
One mighty squadron with a side wind sped, through narrow lanes his cumbered fire does haste. By powerful charms of gold and silver led the Lombard bankers and the change to waste. Another backward to the tower would go and slowly eats his way against the wind, but the main body of the marching foe against the imperial palace is designed. Now day appears, and with the day, the king, whose early care had robbed him of his rest. Far off the cracks of falling houses ring, and shrieks of subjects pierce his tender breast. Near as he draws, thick harbingers of smoke with gloomy pillars cover all the place, whose little intervals of night are broke by sparks that drive against his sacred face. More than his guards, his sorrows make him known, and pious tears, which down his cheeks did shower, the wretched in his grief forgot their own. So much the pity of a king has power. He wept the flames of what he loved so well, and what so well had merited his love, for never prince in grace did more excel, or royal city more in duty strove. Nor with an idle care did he behold subjects may grieve, but monarchs must redress. He cheers the fearful and commends the bold, and makes despairers hope for good success. Himself directs what first is to be done, and orders all the succors which they bring. The helpful and the good about him run, and form an army worthy such a king. He sees the dire contagion spread so fast, that where it ceases all relief is vain, and therefore must unwillingly lay waste that country which would else the foe maintain. The powder blows up all before the fire. The mazed flames stand gathered on a heap, and from the precipice's brink retire, afraid to venture on so large a leap. Thus fighting fires a while themselves consume, but straight like Turks, forced on to win or die, they first lay tender bridges of their fume, and o'er the breach in unctuous vapors fly. Part stays for passage, till a gust of wind ships o'er their forces in a shining sheet. Part, creeping underground, their journey blind, and climbing from below, their fellows meet. Thus to some desert plain or old wood's side, dire night hags come from far to dance their round. And o'er broad rivers on their fiends they ride, or sweep in clouds above the blasted ground. No help avails, for Hydra-like the fire lifts up his hundred heads to aim his way, and scarce the wealthy can one half retire before he rushes in to share the prey. The rich grow suppliant, and the poor grow proud. Those offer mighty gain, and these ask more. So void of pity is the ignoble crowd, when others ruin may increase their store. As those who live by shores with joy behold some wealthy vessel split or stranded nigh, and from the rocks leap down for shipwrecked gold, and seek the tempest which the others fly. So these but wait their owner's last despair, and what's permitted to the flames invade. Even from their jaws they hungry morsels tear, and on their backs the spoils of Vulcan laid. The days were all in this lost labour spent, but when the weary king gave place to night, he beams he to his royal brothers lent, and so shone still in his reflective light. Night came, but without darkness or repose, a dismal picture of the general doom, where souls distracted when the trumpet blows, and half unready with their bodies come. Those who have homes, when home they do repair, to a last lodging call their wandering friends, 
Their short, uneasy sleeps are broke with care to look how near their own destruction tends. Those who have none sit round where once it was, and with full eyes each wonted room require, haunting the yet warm ashes of the place, as murdered men walk where they did expire. Some stir up coals and watch the vestal fire, others in vain from sight of ruin run, and while, though through burning labyrinths they retire, with loathing eyes repeat what they would shun. The most in fields, like herded beasts, lie down to dews obnoxious on the grassy floor. And while their babes in sleep, their sorrows drown. Sad parents watch the remnants of their store. While by the motion of the flames they guess what streets are burning now and what are near, an infant waking to the paps would press and meets instead of milk a falling tear. No thought can ease them but their sovereign's care, whose praise the afflicted as their comfort sing. Even those whom want might drive to just despair think life a blessing under such a king. Thanks to Simon Callow for his beautiful reading and to the Grade 1 Heritage Attraction, the Monument to the Great Fire of London, for hosting the talk. London's Burning is produced by Artichoke with founding sponsorship from the City of London Corporation and support from Arts Council England and the Department for Media, Culture and Sport. The London's Burning talk series is in association with 5 by 15 You can listen and download other podcasts from this series by searching for Artichoke Trust on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.